The Rebrand Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. Welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, and I Hear Everything production. This podcast tells the stories of world-changing marketing campaigns as told by the people who build them. In each episode, you'll hear a brilliant marketer talk through the strategy, framework, and tactics used to elevate their brands to new heights. Ready to hear untold stories behind the brands you love? Then sit back, relax, and get ready for the Rebrand Here's the host of the Rebrand Podcast, the CEO of the Harkey Group, Scott Harkey. Welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, where, as you know, we tell untold stories of world-changing brand campaigns as told by the marketers who built them. I'm your host and founder of the Harkey Group, Scott Harkey, and today we're going to hear about rebranding B2B companies. We got a really fun guest on, and we're both like, hey, it's Friday. Like, how are we going to bring the fire today? We weren't quite sure, but we're, we're going to keep it pretty casual, but we want to talk about rebranding B2B companies. Joining us is Casey Gann, who's the Vice President of Growth at Bold Commerce, which is a checkout company that leading retailers and D see brands like Bear Bradley, Harry Rosen, Staples Canada, Sitka Salmon, who trust to convert shoppers in more places. So I've heard a lot of interesting stats and a lot of really interesting insights about the American shopper the last three months. So maybe we'll dive into that. Let's talk about rebranding B2B companies, which I think is our first title. So let's just get into it. Join us as my guest, Casey Gannon, the Vice President of Growth at Bold Commerce. What's going on? Yeah. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. So help us understand Bold Commerce a little bit and what you guys are great at. We heard some of the brands you're working with. It sounds like you guys have done a rebrand maybe recently, which is where the rebranding topic came from. But maybe give us maybe your background, a little background on the company. So we're, we're dialed in on this conversation. For sure. Yeah. So I have been in tech for 20 years in Austin. Like I live and breathe this stuff. I've been in B2B tech for the past 10 or 12 years and e-com probably the past eight years. Right. So this is sort of what I live and breathe. And with Bold, so Bold was like the quintessential tech story. So it was four guys, bros in the most positive sense in a garage. They had their own Shopify businesses. They found gaps within the Shopify checkout that were their first app was upsell. So they wanted to be able to sell something and then quickly present another offer during the checkout process and they couldn't do that. So they built the app and threw it in the store. That's the simplest story of how Bold came to life. So they went from that one app to 30 apps in Shopify. They were the largest Shopify app developer, the largest Shopify partner. At some point, you can only go so big, right, within Shopify. And that's where this rebrand has come from. So for the past couple of years, so we did that for 10 years. We owned the Shopify market. We knew we had to grow and we wanted to grow away from Shopify. We wanted to grow into all platforms and even composable. And we wanted to move upstream. We wanted to be more in the mid-market and enterprise space. And so the first challenge was our reputation, which is our brand. We were known as the Shopify guys. In fact, some of our founders, I think some people thought they worked at Shopify because they're in all of their branding and materials. And so we had a really big challenge ahead of us. So for the past year, we've gone through this rebrand. It was visual and it was recreating our personality. And it was standing out in this space. And part of the reason I say I live and breathe this tech space is I've been in it for so long. I play, like when I go to trade shows, buzzword bingo, and how many times I can see the word omnichannel and conversion and enable 
power and I can't stand it. And it's not my personality at all. So I aligned really well with Bold because through this transition, we knew we wanted to be somewhat controversial to stand out. We wanted to be edgy, stand out. And we needed to really make a name for ourselves. And even though we had an established reputation, nobody outside Shopify knew us. And anyone in Shopify didn't know we could do anything outside of Shopify. So that was sort of the challenge that we were undertaking and what we've done for the past year in this free brand. That's cool. Okay, that's a much better context to the story. And obviously, I mean, Shopify is the 200-pound gorilla in the space. Sort of interesting. Shopify, full disclosure, is a sponsor of the show too. So it's kind of... Still partners. They are some of our best friends. <laughs> no, obviously, it sounds like you guys have a very close relationship in terms of what you do. Like what all your different apps, would it help companies like for little things like whether it's early X out of shopping cart abandonment kind of stuff or like was it doing a lot of like little things to help e-commerce brands in terms of yeah, the platform cool. inside Shopify? What's really interesting about how we got here is each of the apps that were developed were sort of one-offs based on things we thought would make the buying experience better. But when you take a closer look at them, they were all evolving around checkout. We even had a checkout for Shopify that we pulled out of the app store because they'd want ShopPay. So they're exclusively ShopPay at this point. But it was upsell subscriptions is our largest app on there. We've got two subscription apps, discounts, bundles, loyalty, multi-currency. I mean, we had a whole bundle of apps all focused around the checkout. And that's sort of helped inform our positioning as we moved away from Shopify is we realized those are all checkouts. So instead of taking five or 10 apps and trying to market these separate products, let's take one. Let's take the best, most modern checkout that we can take to the market and let's sell that with all of those capabilities built in to really simplify that positioning. Because before we were bold and then it's like, well, what do you do? And we're like, well, we have bundles, we have loyalty, we have, and you kind of go through this list now we're in the business of checkout. We're the checkout company. Very cool. Okay. So, I mean, it sounds like really honing in on, on the product offering and the brand and maybe diversifying. Obviously, you have a big part of Shopify. You probably still work with Shopify, but getting beyond that, maybe Walled Garden was a big play. Yeah, for sure. Okay. And so it's been kind of a ride because through this, when we brought checkout to the market, we were also bringing a new category to the market. It ups the ante, right? So we don't have competitors. We don't have brands realizing that they don't have to plug and play technologies into their checkout. They can actually replace the whole checkout. So they're used to replacing other components of their web experience. Replacing your entire checkout's a, a new thought process. We don't have any competitors in the space who are doing this. And I don't mean that in a, they're not doing it as well. I mean, we have none. So we are carving out this entirely new category and having to educate the market on that, which adds a whole nother challenge. Would you still consider yourself a B2B brand? Where does your enabling checkout for other tech platforms? Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're like the Intel inside for checkout. Yes, hundred percent. So if you have the Gentile store, if you're composable, if you're on big commerce, you can use our checkout. Got it. And same if you're on Shopify too, if you're an e-commerce brand, you can still use it. just can't use our checkout because you can only use shop pay. <laughs> oh, that's right. They monopolize that market. The money's in payments. So this is correct. Weird. We still have all of our other apps like subscriptions, loyalties, and bundles. And so that process, how long has it been? Where's the business going? Maybe give us an idea how big the business is, what yeah. the business plan calls for, what's next? Yeah, I mean, it's going well. We still maintain our Shopify side of the house. We're growing this, what I call the non-Shopify mid-market enterprise side of the, the business, right? This is really focused. We're heavily focused on Composable. What's interesting, because we're carving out this category. So the first step was we had to figure out how to be controversial. And I think you said it, I think in the beginning, something about conversion. And I think that was even a part of the intro we have. But if you go to pretty much any other 
company that is promoting anything that has to do with the checkout for completing a transaction, all anybody wants to talk about is conversion. And so we started with that story, increase your conversion, better checkout. And we just fit into the noise. And so we have had to put a stake in the ground and say, it's not about conversion. Conversion is not enough. It's just one part of it. And so we've introduced this concept called the power trio, which is conversion, LTV, and AOV. We were at Shop Talk this earlier this year, and we were at a, a company that's massive. And if I said the name, which I can't, if I said the name, every person listening would know who they are. And they said, we had uh, Apple Pay in our checkout as both companies do. And they had a bug that made Apple Pay go down and they panicked. Conversion rate dropped. Average order value increased so much that their revenue actually increased. And so it started the question around, is conversion the only metric and the right metric for your business? So they were promoting items that were of a lower ticket amount where consumers go in and quickly purchase, and then they were missing out on the bigger ticket items. Mm-hmm. And the benefit of our checkout, and not to necessarily push bull, but just to give an idea of why that matters for us and, and where we fit into that, that controversial topic of saying like conversion's not enough. That's not it. It's we believe in tailored checkout. So right now, every consumer that goes to your brand, if you run a brand, probably is getting the same checkout. Mm-hmm. We want to provide a different checkout with different options depending on your consumer, who they are, where they're shopping from. If they're on their phone and you send them a quick ad, sure, give them Apple Pay, get that conversion right there. If they're actively researching to build a new home stereo system, maybe you need to have a completely different checkout experience that upsells them into all of the components Mm -hmm. that they need, right? That's probably a terrible example, but it's about creating a checkout that's personalized for your shopper. Okay. I want to push you a little bit because I think it's an interesting topic. And I've seen every way from a PayPal checkout on e-commerce brands, most of them probably on Shopify. They're probably small enough. I've seen Amazon checkouts. And now there's a new Chinese competitor that's actually taken a huge bite out of Amazon share. I think it was called, you probably know, we were talking about it at this golf trip. I was telling you we were on, is it Stu or basically like there's like a now Amazon competitors freaking blew my like What? I haven't heard of this. Like all the kids are shopping on this. Like what? Have to send it to me right after this. I will. <laughs> I, I, I a lot of topics during a two, three day guys golf trip, but I'm trying to think there's so many options for checkout on your own site. And mm-hmm. part of me as a marketer, I think the familiarity to checking out with something, you know, like an Amazon or a PayPal or an Apple pay versus maybe something custom, which is what you're saying. No, I'm from a consumer that, standpoint. We, all of that is part of our checkout. All of it is plugged. Okay. But it's giving you additional options. Yes. But you should know your consumer to know if they want to check out with Apple Pay or with Amazon or which. Got it. And you should serve that up. Your air traffic controlling the right checkout for the right customer and having potentially even some upsells. Right. Right. So we're offering a different experience, utilizing all of the payment options and payment gateways that you prefer. Another great example is there's also business benefits. So if you're selling items that are regulated on your website, like say CBD or anything else you can think of that's regulated, right? And you're also selling non-regulated items. You're probably using a singular payment gateway that has a higher rate for your business just to be able to process those regulated items. We can split those. We can create two checkouts in one transaction. So the consumer is experiencing one check- transaction. Your business is seeing these two different types of products and changing the back-end gateway a lower rate. So your target is really e-commerce businesses between what and what, would you say? I'd say, you know, the smallest we deal with is around $2 million. Those are really small. I would say our business is $50 million and up. Okay, cool. retailers who have more complex models mm-hmm. that have a large enough shopper base. They really do need to segment between them, oftentimes global, different shopping, probably. 
I see what you're saying on the conversion TV, and I face this in a lot of programmatic display or video and everyone's talking about conversion and the numbers are going to be spiked to whatever KPI people are pushing you towards it, whether it's viewable ads or whether it's click-through rate or whether it's return on ad spend and row ads. And there's pros and cons to all of those. And I can imagine a, a trade show and everyone basically saying the same thing. So I, I think that's smart around really owning checkout for e-commerce brands, for large e-commerce brands or mid-market e-commerce brands. And I love the story of the rebrand. It's cool as a, <laughs> as a tech company. So yeah, what was like the biggest lesson learned, would you say, on that rebrand? Well, I think a couple of them I've said, I, you've got to figure out how to stand out. And I think when you're in B2B, it can be difficult to be willing to be controversial and edgy mm -hmm. if you're a consumer brand. We've done it. Our website and the way we talk about checkout, if you're only thinking about conversion, you're thinking about the wrong things. I mean, we'll make the We don't say checkout that will drive more revenue. We say finally checkout that gives a damn. So we've tried to be really controversial and make statements that are relevant to the brands that are looking for increasing revenue and profitability without saying those things, without saying those words, right? But I would say the biggest learning for me has been, as we've been growing this, how to do this in more non-traditional ways. There's a basic B2B marketing playbook, and I can recite it in my sleep. At this point, we did those things, lay the foundation, right? And so we've worked with a really strong PR agency to drive a lot of thought leadership. That's been very important for us. But I think the most underutilized channel in B2B is influencer marketing. And I think B2B companies do influencer marketing completely wrong. I think influencer marketing has taken the B2C world by storm because there's a credibility and a trust factor when somebody that you admire or you watch uses a certain product, so I got, wow, I need that product, right? And I had one of these realizations because I was working on some technology for our sales team. And I was going through yet again, another sales presentation from this vendor who's walking me through the capabilities and the features and 70% of our people report this. And I was kind of, my eyes were glazing over. And like 45 minutes in, we were looking at a sales enablement tool. He said, Salesforce uses our tool. And that's all I needed to know. If Salesforce, whose gold is using that tool, then that's the one I want to use. That's all I needed. I needed that story. So Salesforce was their influencer in that. Ah, that makes sense. I do think that the two things I heard from you too, though, that I agree with, first of all, that's what I would call burying the lead, right? Like old PR adage. But the second thing I think it's something I've struggled with is maybe an entrepreneur that wants it all, right? Like, so I, your founders I can relate to where I think you said they had like 30 different apps. When they see an opportunity, you want to go get it. And I think the hardest thing for especially B2B companies is to understand the trade-off to really owning something and picking a position and letting maybe some other revenue sources go. It's a very, very scary place to be. And it's a place I find myself in a lot. So going through like a branding process, which is really a, in my mind, it's a, less about the branding as, as business strategy, right? The branding is just the final product that then rolls in and rolls out to market. So what I heard is really just the checkout piece of like picking a strong position that you own. And if you look at some of the greatest brands in the world, they own a very specific position and it's what they're known for, whether it's Nordstrom's as customer service, quick trip gas stations about being fast. Amazon's about fast delivery, like they all Walmart's about cheap prices. Disney's about experience for eight to 12 year old kids. There's like very specific positions and why they become some of the best brands in the world. But I think for consultants or for existing companies, myself in this boat, 100%. And I heard a great quote about strategies, not 
deciding what you're going to do. It's deciding what you're not going to do. And that's the hardest part. So I don't know if I heard that from you or not, but it, it sounded to me like yeah. you really picked a strong position, which yeah. probably took a lot of work. I mean, four different partners, probably getting them on board with this position. Like that is not easy. Yeah, it was very difficult for us. I would say we held our breath because we went from a checkout company. We had subscriptions. We had upsell. We had all of these different things. And to different people, we were known as something different. And there was this fear that if we go all in on checkout, then what happens to the rest of the market that's looking at those? Do we lose the subscriptions, guys? Do we lose? And the argument is that we don't because we were rolling it all up into one product, checkout. So we still have our capabilities, but they all serve the checkout. They all serve a greater need. And we definitely held our breath. I mean, and not only that, like if you look at subscriptions, it's already a known category. We don't have to go create this category and convince the market that they need subscriptions. Brands already know that. We had to go convince brands that they need a new checkout, that there's a new way to guide the buyer through a checkout experience. That's a great point. And I should clarify too, because for the brand marketers out there, I think the trick is, and I've seen people do it on me as an entrepreneur, they go, look, we're not going to get away from those other revenue sources, but it's not going to be the lead, okay? Because we have the biggest permission to win in this category. So we're going to own that. We're going to keep our other categories and business lines, and those aren't going anywhere, but the lead will feed those if the, it's the right lead and it's positioned the right way. And it truly has differentiation from a brand and a tone, which you've done clearly, and from a product side. So I think that's, I think that's a great freaking point. Yeah, you didn't lose those other revenue sources. So and anyway. Brands are, are so afraid to focus. And it's oh, totally. Hyper, oh, it's scary. I, I believe in hyper-focus. I mean, find that one thing that works and win. And then once you win, you go find the next thing. And it's that Correct. snowball. Correct. Yeah, I agree with it, but I struggle with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely do too. I keep peeling back layers. Every strategy I put together, I said, let me take that back. Let me take that back again. Let's strip some more off of it. And let's get really good at this one thing, whether it's our product that we're offering, it's the message we're putting out, it's the channel, whatever it is, like, let's get really good at one thing. And That's I always cool. ask myself, like, what's the one thing that we're really good at? And can we say that? Or are we mediocre at 10 different things? Yeah, I think it's brilliant. I put a piece of content out that it's one of my favorite pieces ever. And it, I don't know if you've seen the movie City Slickers. Yeah. And Curly talks to the, like this old rancher guy is talking to who's a comedian that plays in City Slickers, like famous comedian, Billy Crystal. And he's like, hey, what's the key to life? And this old cowboy with like this cigarette in his mouth. And Curly's like, it's this. And he holds up the number one. It's like, it's one thing. <laughs> So anyway, I think that's kind of play in my head now every time that I'm like, have I stream? Yeah. All right. Well, well, let's do this. Let's bring you right back. So let's wrap up this one because I'm way over time, of course. And I'm going to write back. Thanks to Casey again, Vice President of Growth at Old Commerce. In part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, we're going to talk about changing the way brands think about checkout. We teased checkout for a while on this first podcast. We've talked about the rebrand, but we're going to get into checkout a little bit more, which I think is going to be a fascinating topic, especially with all the e-commerce that's going on. If you can't wait till our next episode, you want to learn more about Casey, you'll find her LinkedIn profile in our show notes or visit their company website at oldcommerce.com. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes, you guys know the drill. Everything is at rebrandpod.com. Summaries and LinkedIn information, guest information. So that website's just purely a resource wherever you need all things rebrand. Maybe you heard a little insider and you want to go back or maybe you want to send something to somebody, that, that's your spot. If you also want to apply to, to be on the show, we're looking for guest speakers. I review these about every two weeks. 
Some are great. Some are not a fit. That's okay. But we want to have the best brand marketers on the show, the best entrepreneurs. I want to hear about the best new tech that's out there for our industry. And we just want to have real conversations about it. You can always find me on social media. It's just at Scott Hartke. We have some other stuff for Rebrand Pod, but we're really not pushing that out yet. We're really just focused on the podcast. So again, thanks for all the support. And our biggest KPI, as you know, is the subscriptions. So hit that subscribe button. That's it for today. But remember, it's never too late to rebuild, reboot, or rebrand. 